So over the last month, uh, we've been talking about what God has to say about the Sabbath. And we're going to wrap up today, um, but we've been talking about having a regular rhythm of rest in our lives. We've talked about why that's important. We've talked about what it could look like for us to live that out in today's culture. We've talked about what happens when we don't and what are the negative effects if we don't uh, make this happen in our lives. And it's critically important that we choose to rest before we have to rest, that we take a break before we break. But the reality is of all the Ten Commandments, this is kind of the one that Christians ignore the most. This is the one that we kind of prioritize less. We slough it off like it's no big deal. We treat the list as the nine commandments in one suggestion. And that's what the Sabbath is. Well, if I just push myself, I can do more, right? I can accomplish more for my family. I can get further at work. I can even do more for God and the church. But God said in Exodus 20, verse 8, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That's not one of the ten suggestions. It's one of the ten commandments. It's important. And the principle and the priority of Sabbath rest remains as true today as it did in the time of Moses. It is absolutely something we need to pay attention to. God created us to need rest, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And as we finish up the series today, I want to talk about one more way we can look at Sabbath and incorporate it into every day of our lives and not just one day every once in a while. When I was in college, I was involved in Chi Alpha, which is a Christian student ministry to universities. And one year, to kick things off at the beginning of the year, to get to know new students, we were given a name tag to put on. But instead of our name, we were to write one word that best described us. One word we would use to describe ourselves, and then we were to go around and have conversations about that word. Uh, I thought about it for a while, and since dad joke was two words, I couldn't use that. I decided to go with something else, and I wanted to communicate my desire to push and my desire to be the best I could be, so I put down driven. I'm like, what a great word. I win. You know, that, that's, that's part of the problem. And we went through the introductions, and I met different people, and they would ask me what I wanted people to know from that word. What, what do you want me to know about you because you wrote driven? And the more I talked, the more I realized that it was a pretty dumb thing to put down. Because the truth of the matter is there's a fine line between selfish ambition and godly ambition. And the bottom line is this. There's no place for selfish ambition in the kingdom of God. It doesn't have a place. God doesn't share his glory. It's all about God and his glory. But most of us kind of are on this selfish ambition side of the equation, if we're honest. I certainly was when I put that on my name tag. It was not about God. It was all about me. Because the truth is, that's where that drivenness was coming from. Probably came more out of ego than anything else. And so from time to time, I remember that. I've reflected on that answer, and I've been able to laugh at myself. But the truth is, I'm still pretty driven. I'm competitive. I want to win. I want to be the best I can be. Let me give you a kind of a corny example of this side of me. I used to drive a Toyota Prius. Don't laugh. Um, which is a gas-electric hybrid car, okay? The whole point of owning a hybrid car is to get the best gas mileage you can, right? I mean, that's, that's why you own it. It's certainly not for high performance. Uh, and if you've never ridden in a Prius, it's got all sorts of gauges uh, that tell you 
whether it's currently using the electric motor or whether it's using the gas engine, what percentage of each of those it's using at any current time, what the current gas mileage is, what's your total gas mileage for this particular trip that you're on. And I did everything I could. This became a personal contest to get the best possible miles per gallon for every trip that I took. I would accelerate super slowly to make sure that I didn't waste any extra. I would get to speed and then I would coast for as long as I could before getting back up to speed. I would begin to decelerate long before a stoplight so I didn't have to come to a total stop and waste gas accelerating again. And basically, I, would have the, I was one of those incredibly annoying drivers that you yell at your windshield about, right? But I didn't care. I wanted to beat my record. I wanted to get the max miles per gallon I could get every single trip. And if I wasn't setting a personal best, I don't care if I was going to the grocery store, it was a bad trip. I had to beat it. And there's just this part of me that I run the competitive juices pretty high. And over the years, I've learned that that ne isn't necessarily healthy for me spiritually to have that kind of competitive nature. And with God's help, I've mellowed quite a bit. If you want verification on that, talk to Melissa. Uh, I can lose a board game and not flip the table over. I can play volleyball with kids and not spike the ball in their face anymore, uh, which you say, that doesn't sound like great progress, but baby steps, right? Okay. And so as we approach the end of this series, I want to choose a different word that would define me. I want to choose a different word to put on my name tag, a different word uh, that would describe me, and I hope that you'll see by the end of our time together today, this word should be a part of all of us. And that word is Selah. I'm going to define it for you in a second. You, you say, some of you are sitting there going, I've never seen that word before in my life. Some of you would say, you know what? I have seen that word before, but I have no idea what it means. I just kind of gloss over it. And some of you are like, I know exactly what that means. Well, great. There's three categories of people. We'll help all of you. Before I define it, let's go ahead and read this scripture, Psalm 46, 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength always ready to help in times of trouble, so we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Selah. Here it is, Selah. Just kind of right over in the margin of most translations of the Bible. Selah. Next section, verses 4 through 7. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's army is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Selah. And there it is again, sitting there all by itself just off to the side. It's one of those words that you just kind of skip past as you read your Bible without paying too much thought to it. You think to yourself, well, if it was really important, I'd at least know what it means, right? So it must not be important, and you move on. Verse 8 through 11. Come see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow, snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. Isn't it interesting that... That verse that we so often just kind of pull out, be still and know that I am God, follows, he breaks the bow and snaps the spear, he burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. Context is everything. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Selah. 
74 times in the Hebrew scripture, the word Selah appears. And it's one of the more mysterious words in the Bible because scholars are not 100% sure of its derivation or exactly what the word means. Now, most of these appearances occur in the Psalms, uh, three of them in Habakkuk. And since both Psalms and Habakkuk contain a good amount of poetry and song, the consensus is that this word most likely refers to a musical pause. It's a time to stop. It's a rest in the melody. It's silence in the middle of a song. Why is there silence in the middle of a song? To give the person singing or the person hearing the chance to process to understand, to comprehend, to not just mindlessly flow through, but to stop and to focus and to give your attention. Now, let's zoom out a little bit. Um, and I want to give an example. Oh, no, before I get that. A, the, if that's Selah, it's this moment. Let's zoom out. And a long rest, we've talked about. That's the word Sabbath, right? That's a long rest, Okay, it's something God has commanded. That's God's rhythm of six parts work and one part rest. And so think of Sabbath musically as a whole rest. Uh, the word Sabbath means to rest, to pause, to catch your breath. And what I love about that is that God breathed into the dust and brought it to life in the form of Adam. God breathed into the dust and he, he brought Adam to life. And Sabbath is how God breathes into us and restores life in us. That's the mechanism through which God restores us. He recreates us. And it's such an important part of the rhythm of life. And like I said before, Sabbath is a whole rest. And I like to think of Selah as a short rest, maybe a 116th rest for the musically inclined. Selah is a daily moment of Sabbath, maybe even more than once a day. And here, here's kind of how I define the word. Selah is an insertion of a moment of holy silence into the constant noise of your day. It's an insertion of holy silence into the constant noise of your day. And here's the thing. It's not random. It's intentional. You don't stumble upon it. You decide to do it. And a few years back, I had a conversation with somebody in the room here about this concept, and it's something that God has put on their heart, and I invited David to come and just share for a few minutes about this concept and what it means to him and Rebecca. Thanks, Jeff. Um, some of you have heard our story, uh, but we are still learning to Sabbath and Selah. For us, the dream was to provide this for other people, it's been over a decade uh, that God put on our hearts that uh, when we lived in Arizona, that we would own a cabin up in the woods, and uh, and we went. We might go visit it from time to time, but that its main purpose would be for others to go selah, to go get away from the busyness of life. Um, we we had named it. Uh, we had just dreamed for it for for years and years. And it was just kind of one of those things that, <laughs> that'll never happen. We just laughed at ourselves, really, for having this dream because the mountains, we were, lived in Phoenix, the mountains were hours away and being able to do ministry and take care of people. Well, we were on a road trip in 2017, and uh, it was uh, three and a half weeks, 6,500 miles, 24 states, and a two-year-old. So basically the opposite 
of Selah. Selah. <laughs> and uh, we were stopping here to visit the Cossacks. And uh, Melissa, like she does, is like, hey, you want to see the house we're building? Um, and we're like, yeah, you're excited, we're excited. And we ended up um, seeing some property near them. If you guys have been to our house, you kind of know uh, the, the restfulness and peace that is just there and on that, on that property. And I walked from their construction site over to, uh, over to that piece of property. I don't even know how I ended up there um, and, and said to my wife, I think this is the place that we're supposed to build a cottage and a house, and this is where we're supposed to take care of people. And uh, we made an offer a couple days later. <laughs> um, it's not the craziest thing we've ever done uh, in life, but it's, it's, it's up there. <laughs> it's, in the, it's in the top five. And, um, and so with some mishaps and missteps with construction, um, we are still... With, we went over budget, so we're waiting and we are pausing and taking a break and figuring out what the next step in the dream is. God hasn't taken that dream away from us, but the vision is still there to provide Selah. So the first thing we did to claim that land to say this is what this place is for was we went and put in a windmill that aerates the pond, helps with the health, health of the pond, and the whole thing is about health and rest and healing. And we put across the tail fin uh, Selah, so that when you come to our place, this is a place to get out of town, to know, to, to walk around the pond, to fish. Uh, we invite you. <laughs> this is a place to come. Selah, I was, re I was relaying this story to a neighbor, and he goes, oh, I thought that was the brand <laughs> of windmill. Uh, but no, this is, this is our statement. This is the place that we come. We are thankful to have, but to rest and and I, I gotta I just gotta still be honest that we're learning to do that and and taking a break it, it, we have to remind ourselves of it all the time thank you David <laughs> and what I love about that story is that God gave them this vision and hasn't taken that vision away even though they're in a waiting period to see how it's going to flesh out in the future but God gave them this vision to understand not only for their own lives but to help and encourage others to do the same. Because they recognize that there are people who are going to resist it. There are people that don't seek it out, that don't know how to do that. And they wanna facilitate that. They wanna be facilitators of God's rest in people's life. And I love that. Here's how I like to think about it, because I think this is not just a once a year thing, this is a daily thing. First Thessalonians, and I'm going to jump to prayer for a second. First Thessalonians 5.17 is a really tough verse when you first read it, okay? First Thessalonians 5.17 says, never stop praying. That's a hard verse. I mean, how in the world do you live that out? Never stop praying. Expectations high much? I mean, that's, that's kind of unrealistic. But some time ago, as I began meditating on this verse of Scripture and praying for wisdom from the Holy Spirit, God showed me that it's not constant but continual. It's not constant but continual. Constant is something that happens all the time and never stops, okay? Um, the air conditioner running here, that's constant. It doesn't stop. Uh, and now you're going to hear it. Um, continual is something that is used to describe something that happens over a period of time. It keeps going, and it's a regular occurrence over a period of time. So it's not that we should never do anything but pray, but instead, 
Prayer should be just a breath away all the time. Prayer should be just a breath away all the time. That whenever something happens that jars our reality, prayer is the first option and not the last resort. We go to prayer. And so I developed in my own life this mindset of 30-second prayers. And I've shared this with some of you. Uh, we can mistakenly think that prayer has to be this 10-minute, 30-minute, an hour time with God where we just shut out everything else and that's all we do. And it certainly can be, and those times are important. But it can also be brief moments of turning your attention heavenward, of disconnecting from what's happening here and focusing towards heaven. So when I'm driving and I see an accident, I whisper a 30-second prayer for those who were involved. That's an example of watch and pray, okay? Don't close your eyes when you're driving. Um, uh, when I get off the phone with Melissa and she's going into a tough meeting with a contractor for our house, I whisper a 30-second prayer for her. When I'm going to have a discipline meeting with one of our kids, I whisper a 30-second prayer for wisdom and strength. I could go on for a long time here about all the different applications of a 30-second prayer. In fact, I probably wouldn't end uh, because it's infinite. You get the point. Prayer becomes more normal, more natural when you do it regularly and interspersed throughout your day. Selah needs to be like this for us when it comes to rest and realignment with God's presence in our lives and his priorities for our lives. I love the fact that most translations put this word off in the margin. It's off to the side, right? Because that's what it is. It's margin for us. It's the margin to rest. It's the margin to reflect. It's the margin to dream, to pray, to meditate. Now, let me just ask a question. How many of you have too much margin in your life? Yeah, right. My, my guess is there's probably not too many of us that would say, I have more margin than I need. I'm kind of looking for things to fill the white space. Most of us are desperate for more margin in our lives. So think of Selah as a change of pace plus a change of place. You kind of step out of what your normal routine is, and you slow down and you pause. It's being 100% present in the present. Uh, it's the ability to leave the past in the past, to not worry about tomorrow, but to be right here, right now, to shift our focus from everything external and shift it internal to focus on God and his presence in our lives. And when this becomes a regular part of our daily routine, something important happens because our perspective changes. The way we see things becomes different. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And I, I, I point this out every time I read this because I think it's a huge thing to note. Sin is not the only thing that trips us up. Well, sin trips us up, but it says every weight that slows us down. Guess what? That's not sin. Every weight that slows us down, especially the sin. So this is stuff that's not sin, but it's baggage, it's stress, it's anxiety, it's worry, it's all the stuff that we deal with in life that slows us down. And then the writer says, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Why do things change when we intentionally take time to Selah, to rest, to pause, to refocus? Because Selah keeps our eyes on Jesus. It keeps our eyes on Jesus. And by keeping our eyes on Jesus, we run with endurance. Selah helps you live each day, or live like each day is the first day and the last day of your life. 
Most of us just kind of make it through the day. We survive till the end instead of experiencing the Selah that God wants us to experience. We should be living like Jesus was crucified yesterday, rose again today, and is coming back tomorrow. That's a great framework to live your life. Jesus was crucified yesterday, so the memory of the cross is very real. He rose today, so you have that joy and wonder of the risen Savior, and he's coming back tomorrow, so you have that expectation of his return, and there is a, a significance, there is a drive to accomplish the mission that he set out before us. I think that's at the heart of Selah, making the most of every moment. Selah is considering the lilies of the field, Matthew 6, 28. It is numbering your days, Psalm 90, verse 12. It's redeeming the time, Ephesians 5, 16. It's casting your cares on him, 1 Peter 5, 7. It's better is one day in the courts of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere in Psalm 84. It's being still and knowing that he is God in Psalm 46, 10. It's all of that and a thousand other things. Selah equips you and reinvigorates you to be the person that God has called you to be. You might have heard the expression, work like it depends on you and pray like it depends on God. Okay, work like it depends on you, put forth your full effort and pray like it depends on God. Put your full effort into prayer as well. Another way of approaching that is work like it depends on God and then rest like it depends on God. Why? Because resting is trusting. If you aren't resting, it tells me you aren't fully trusting the Lord because when we rest, we have to put our trust that God is going to see that through because we're pulling back from our own efforts. Selah is not really about us anyway. It's all about Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And that rest is continual. It, it continually takes place. Going to Jesus to find rest doesn't just happen one time. This is not come to me once, I'll give you rest. Okay, take your rest and go away now. It's not a one and done type thing. This is a continual returning. It's Selah. So let's drill a little deeper. I, I kind of see this as well as resting in God's mercy. Because you cannot rest your soul unless you know that your sins are nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. And that you are the recipient of his mercy. That you've been forgiven, you've been redeemed. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. When we approach a holy God because of our sin, we deserve death. But because of God's mercy, we don't receive that. And because of God's grace, we receive rest from the hand of Jesus. That's Selah. Hebrews 4.11 says, So let us do our best to enter that rest. I used to love verses that rhymed when I was a kid because they were easier to memorize. So let us do our best to enter that rest. In other words, this requires effort on our part. Do our best to enter that rest. He's saying enter into the mercy of God so you can rest your soul. The most important time slots of your day are going to be those moments of rest, of God focus, of mercy awareness. Because I believe this to be true. Life is not measured in minutes. I mean, on one level, there will be dates on your tombstone. Yes, in some ways it is. But life really is measured in moments. Life is measured in moments more than it's measured in minutes because minutes just pass whether you do anything or not. But the true measure of our lives is the moments that we make as we go through it. It's those moments that define our lives. And here's what I believe. I believe that every single day there are Selah moments waiting to happen, to pause, to refocus, to fix our attention on Jesus, on his love for us, to begin to live this way. And I promise you it will change your life forever. 
when you have those regular moments throughout your day. And so the takeaway this morning is pretty simple. Every day we need to look for a Selah moment. How do we do that? It's about refocusing. The first thing we can do is to focus on Scripture. Focus on God's Word. The biblical word for focusing on God's Word is to meditate on Scripture. That's the word the Bible uses. We meditate on the Word. What does that mean? It's more than reading. Meditating on God's Word is not just reading through the Bible. There was a 19th century paleontologist by the name of Louis Agassi, who was a Harvard professor. And his teaching method was pretty revolutionary, and it was pretty unique. He said, instead of relying on textbooks, let's rely on firsthand observation. And so one of the assignments he would give to his classes with that was that the professor would pull out a specimen jar with a fish in it. And he told the student to examine it. And this particular student thought it would be just like, take a look at the fish. Okay, I see what it is. Write a few things down. Boom, we're done. He thought it would be like one of those two-minute assignments. But after an hour or so, and the student thought he observed everything there was to know about the fish, the professor didn't ask him for his observations. He told him to continue to observe the fish. The next day he asked him, and then when he gave his observations, it wasn't good enough. And so a week passed, and the whole time, 10-hour days for a week, he is looking at this fish, and he said, eventually something happened. He said, I started seeing things that were always there, but I had never noticed before. The symmetry of the scales the number of teeth, the position of the gills, the paired organs. He said it was like seeing a whole different creature because he took time to truly observe it. Or you might say, meditate on it. And according to one Harvard legend, this professor once returned to the classroom after a summer vacation, and he told his students they had spent the entire summer traveling and only made it halfway across his backyard. That was just kind of his personality. When we look at Scripture this way, when we have that mindset, when we don't just read it, but we meditate on it, we will begin to see things that were always there, but we just had never noticed before. Reading scripture without meditating on it is like eating without digesting. You know, uh, reading scripture is, is important. We can just read through it, but then there are times where we need to take a deeper dive, and we need to pray about it, and we need to meditate on it, we need to think about it, and we need to flip it around in our brain repeatedly. We've got to meditate on the Word of God. The same author who regularly used this word, Selah, is the one who said, I meditate on God's Word more than anybody else in Scripture. And that was David. David would meditate on the Word of God. And that means you begin your day in the Word. You let it get into your spirit. You can't meditate on the Word. Now, if you have Scripture memorized, you can meditate on the Scripture you've memorized. But that's one of the powerful things about beginning your day with Scripture, beginning your day in the Word, is that the Holy Spirit will bring that Scripture back to your mind throughout your day. And you will have those moments. You let it get into your spirit. And then there's those Selah moments where the Spirit of God brings it back to you. And your level of understanding is increased. And this takes time. And it takes intentionality. It takes turning that verse around in your head over and over until you see it in a different way. And that's why it says, be still and know that I am God. It doesn't say, hurry up and know that I am God. It's not a quick, instant process. We live in a microwave society. But knowing God is not a microwave moment. It takes time. Be still and know that I am God. Jewish rabbis used to have an expression. They'd say that every word of Scripture has 70 faces and 600,000 meanings. Every word. We've got to meditate on the Word of God. 
Because here's the thing. It's not just about dissecting Scripture. It's about allowing Scripture to dissect us. When the Word of God describes itself as a two-edged sword, that's not just to defeat the enemy. It's to cut us apart. It's to perform surgery on our hearts. It's to perform surgery on our brains, to remove those things that don't belong there. Another thing, in addition to the Word of God, that it's important for us to do as part of our Selah moments is to focus on life. Leonardo da Vinci uh, said that the average human looks without seeing, listens without hearing, touches without feeling, eats without tasting, inhales without awareness of fragrance, and talks without thinking. In other words, we're just going through the motions. That's how we live our lives. Like we just are getting through the day. We're making a living, but we're not making a life. Selah is when we just stop to refocus on what is really happening, on what life is supposed to be about. You know what that is? It's Jacob at Bethel, where he has this moment where he encounters God. And Jacob has this miraculous moment where he encounters God, and he goes to sleep, and he wakes up, and he says, surely God was in this place, and I was not aware of it. It's the most powerful thing about that whole story is when he says, I was not aware of it. Because how many times is God present and we're not aware? It's about waking up to these miracles that are all around us all the time. I mean, if the sunrise only happened one time, it would be the most spectacular thing you've ever witnessed. But because it happens every day, we're like, oh, yeah, that was pretty. If you're an Instagram person, you're taking a picture and posting it, you know, because that's what we do. But the thing is, it's like the world is happening around us and there's these miraculous things, but the problem is God is so good at what God does and he does it day in and day out that we take it for granted as if nothing special just happened. And it happens every day. These are miracles, but without these Selah moments, we aren't aware of them. Without refocusing, you don't see the world as it is. You see the world as you are. In other words, you will see what you're looking for. If you're looking for something to criticize, you will find it. If you're looking for something to celebrate, you'll find that. Our perceptions are hugely significant. Colossians 3.2, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. In other words, have the right perspective. Focus on those things that matter. God makes it really clear for us. And if we're going to reset our way of thinking to heaven's thoughts instead of our thoughts, we need to experience regular pauses. Selah. The Bible tells us that our perspective drives everything for us. It tells us that in Romans 12. It says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. In other words, by changing your perspective, by changing the way you process what is happening around you and to you, a completely new person is waiting for you on the other side of these Selah moments. Finally, let me talk about the last area of focus. You know, I think part of the power of Selah is most of us live most of our lives as strangers to ourselves. We don't know who we really are. We know more about our favorite celebrity than we do about ourselves. And we've got to have those moments where we look in the mirror and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we reflect on ourselves with intentionality. Search me and know me. Test me. Show me. Reveal those things. We're going to celebrate communion in just a couple of moments. And the Bible says that before we go to the Lord's table, before we celebrate and receive communion, we are to you know, in that moment, we remember the sacrifice he made for us. But the Bible says we are to examine ourselves. 
We are to take a moment and look in that spiritual mirror and ask God to show us who we really are and not the image that we portray to everyone around us, sometimes even to ourselves. Now, most of us are better examining the person next to us. So if I said, look at the person next to you and tell them where they need to fix something, we could all do that. But the reality is God says to examine yourself and allow God to search you and know you and reveal that to you. And we've got to look at our heart, and that takes Selah. The reason some people are so busy is because they're afraid of solitude and silence where they just have to be with themselves because they're confronted by the reality of who they are. For most of us, that's long overdue. And here's what we're going to do this morning. As we prepare to celebrate communion, I want to remind all of us that communion is not something that's just for Trilogy Church alone. It's for anybody that's come to a point in their life where they've made Jesus Christ the Lord of their lives and, uh, and understands what these elements symbolizes. The cup represents the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness that we have through him. The bread represents the body of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us. And to me, communion is a journey back to the foot of the cross. It's an opportunity to, to remember what Jesus has done, where I found forgiveness for my sin and salvation and right relationship with God. And you know what? If you've never made that decision, you've never surrendered your life to God and asked him to forgive you, and what a great opportunity to do that right here, right now. Take a moment. Ask God to forgive you. Take a moment and tell him you trust him and want to make him the Lord of your life. And, and we would invite you then as your first act of faith to celebrate communion with us and uh, to celebrate the sacrifice Jesus made for you. And we're just going to spend some moments and we're going to Selah this morning as we prepare. And so for the next few minutes, uh, we're going to put a song on, uh, a song that's unfamiliar to you so you're not singing along without thinking. Uh, and really give you that opportunity to reflect and allow the Holy Spirit to think of you, or think, uh, to remind you of what's going on in your life, and allow you to just be in the presence of God, to allow the Spirit of God to work in your heart, maybe a time to examine yourself, as Scripture tells us, maybe a time to reflect on the goodness and the mercy of God. And so for the next few minutes after I pray, we're going to invite you to Selah. And during the song, I want you to go back and get the communion elements uh, and then return to your seat and continue to put your focus on God's presence. We're going to go to the back the same way we did last time with the back row first. Uh, just kind of filing out that way and going and then filing back into your row. And then the next row and so on, we'll move our way to the front. Uh, and then you guys, you guys are special. You guys can just go wherever you want. Uh, and get the communion elements and return to your seat. And then I'm going to ask you just to hold those and spend that time and focus on God. And uh, later on, I'll come back up and we'll celebrate communion together as a church. So let me pray, and then we can put the music on, and then we'll go from there. Lord, we offer these moments to you. And we pray, God, that you would speak into our hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that we would receive a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit, that you would come in and breathe life into us again. Lord, help us in these moments not to be distracted, but to hit the pause button and to position ourselves at the foot of the cross to be able to remember the sacrifice that you made, the pain that you endured so that we could be set free and forgiven of our sin. We pray that you would help us in these next few moments to ready our spirits to celebrate what you have accomplished for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.